0: Hey guys, it's Crystal, and Alita, and on this episode of Girl, We Need to Talk About Fiction, we wanted to do something special to reflect Memorial Day. At the time of this recording, Memorial Day is coming up, and we had a discussion on how we could honor and reflect, and we decided that we could discuss the movie We Were Soldiers. And not just the movie, but also the people portrayed in the movie and the stories related to them and the real-life events that happened. We just thought it would be a way to honor people in the military and cover some events that actually happened. Mm -hmm. So this will be a different episode. At times, it may get emotional because, again, we're talking about real people. We both have people in our lives who served or who are in service, and we want you to bear with us. But we really want to tell this story because, and I shouldn't even say story, it's not fiction, it's real
1: life. Mm-hmm. Now, the movie takes a fictional right, you, you know what I'm saying?
0: I think they were quoted, I think how Moore was quoted that it was like 60% accurate, and Galloway said maybe 80 mm-hmm. percent so of course they're going to take liberties, liberties kind of in filming to to make it more dramatic but they are showing events that
1: happened yes so we were soldiers it was a movie made in 2002 and it was based on the book we were soldiers once and young by lieutenant general Hal moore and reporter joseph l galloway the director was randall wallace now, I have to say that if I just happened upon this movie on TV, it wouldn't have piqued my interest. I'm really not into war movies, and military movies tend to hit my emotions really hard, so a majority of the time, I steer clear of them. I also don't really know that I would have truly understood what was going on in the movie had I not had the story told to me previously.
0: I would just want to say... I watched the movie a long time ago, and after reading all of your material and everything that you had researched and everything, I watched it again, and it had so much more meaning to me, and I understood what was going on. Yeah.
1: So, I used to interview people for my blog on occasion, and I interviewed a Vietnam veteran once who began to tell me the story of the Battle of LZ x ray and actually, we'll go into this a little bit more later, but there is a little bit of confusion. Um, the Battle of Iodrang, I think, encompasses both the Battle of LZ-X-Ray as well as the Battle of LZ-Albany. hmm So, this veteran introduced me to the movie We Were Soldiers. Honestly, as gory as it is, and it is that.
0: Yes. Please
1: do not watch it with children. no but this is one of my favorite military movies. Now, before I tell you about the battle, I want to have Crystal read part of the prologue of the book, We Were Soldiers Once and Young. So we'll skip around on the prologue because it is a few
0: pages and we don't want to do that to you. (laughs) But I will read the line from Henry IV, part one, act two, scene three. In thy faint slumbers, I by thee have watched, and heard thee murmur, Tales of Iron Wars. This story is about time and memories. The time was 1965, a different kind of year, a watershed year when one era was ending in America and another was beginning. We felt it then, in the many ways our lives changed so suddenly, so dramatically, and looking back on it from a quarter century gone, we are left in no doubt. It was the year America decided to directly intervene in the Byzantine affairs of obscure and distant Vietnam. It was the year we went to war in the broad traditional sense that we who went to war was all of us, all Americans, though in truth at that time the larger majority had little knowledge of, less interest in, and no great concern with what was beginning so far away. So the story is about the smaller, more tightly focused we of that sentence. The first American combat troops who boarded World War II-era troop ships sailed to that little-known place and fought the first major battle of a conflict that would drag on for ten long years and come as near to destroying America as it did to destroying Vietnam. We were the children of the 1950s and John F. Kennedy's young stalwarts of the early 1960s. He told the world that Americans would pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship in the defense of freedom. We were the down payment on that costly contract, but the man who signed it was not there when we fulfilled his promise. John F. Kennedy waited for us on a hill in Arlington National Cemetery, and in time we came by the thousands to fill those slopes with our white marble markers and to ask on the murmur of the wind, if that was truly the future he had envisioned for us. This story, then, is our testament and our tribute to 234 young Americans who died beside us during four days in landing zone X-ray and landing zone Albany in the Valley of Death, 1965. That is more Americans than were killed in any regiment, north or south, at the Battle of Gettysburg, and far more than were killed in combat in the entire Persian Gulf War. Seventy more of our comrades died in the Ia Drang in desperate skirmishes before and after the big battles at X-Ray and Albany. All the names, 305 of them, including one Air Force pilot, are engraved on the third panel to the right of the apex, panel three east of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C., and on our hearts. This is also the story of the suffering of families whose lives were forever shattered by the death of a father, a son, a husband, a brother, in that valley. While those who have never known war may fail to see the logic, this story also stands as tribute to the hundreds of young men of the 320th, 33rd, and 66th regiments of the People's Army of Vietnam who died by our hand in that place. They too fought and died bravely. They were a worthy enemy. We who killed them pray that their bones were recovered from that wild, desolate place where we left them and taken home for decent and honorable burial. This is our story and theirs, for we were soldiers once
1: and young. I love that. It's super moving. It is. I once read that to a class and I broke down Mm. in it because it just, having heard the story... Which I'm, I'm, we're going to share with you. It just has whole new meaning, mm-hmm. I guess. So, I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson. And, Crystal, I know we've talked about this previously. I don't feel like we really learned a whole lot in regards to Vietnam. And I don't know if that was because it was covered, like, towards the end of the year. I don't know if it was just us not paying much attention or... Oh.
0: It, yeah, it could be a, a, a compilation. Yeah, <laughs> it could be a lot of those reasons all mixed in. I think we learn so much about we learn so much about the revolution, civil war, World War One. Even that, I feel like is a little skipped over. Yeah, and World War Two is especially heavy. yes. So when we get to these, when we get to Vietnam, when we when we get to Korea, when we get to the Persian Gulf. It's just, I feel like we are at the end of the year in, you know, public education in high schools and that sort of thing. So I do feel like it's, it's a mixture of, okay, we've, we've made it to the end. Now we have to fast forward through all of this recent history and get you up to speed on what's happening now. And then yeah. also, we were young. We didn't really pay attention. Especially towards the end of the Especially year. Especially towards the end of the year. And, you know, if you study this later... I think it has again. It has more meaning, especially like you've interacted with veterans that ha- were actually there. Yeah, I mean that's powerful to actually have an eyewitness account of what happened, and to do your research and to learn about it. And there, there are so many reasons regarding why America got involved in the first place. It gets muddy. And I was talking to you about this earlier. Ken Burns did this amazing series on Vietnam, but there's so much. I mean, you, you really have to pay attention and, and watch every episode because it goes into so much detail and so many underlying reasons and what happened in World War One and what happened in World War Two and everything that brought us to that point in time to where the conflict started.
1: Yeah. So, I will say this, and we'll talk... A little bit about this later. Um, One of the most rewarding experiences that I've had was my first Vietnam veteran. I went to his house, Mm -hmm. and actually, his daughter had requested that I interview him, Mm -hmm. and he agreed to it. Mm -hmm. And so, when I showed up at their doorstep, his daughter greeted me at the door, and she was near about in tears. Mm-hmm. And she said, My dad has never talked about his experiences like this as he has preparing to interview with you. Wow. And you guys, he had broken out slides. Oh, he wow. Had, he had photographs. He had like a whole slideshow for me. It was incredible. And we
0: see that so many veterans of that. Conflict. Mm-hmm. they don't talk about their experience because it was so harrowing. Yeah. So that is so extraordinary that he was able to open up not only to you, but to his daughter
1: to see the yeah. side of him. That's and and this was actually posted on my blog. So honestly, he was sharing with a multitude of people. Right, right. So it was, it was an incredible experience. So I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson. So with Vietnam, something to keep in mind we already had a presence in Vietnam. We had advisors in Vietnam. And they were going to aid the South Vietnamese in fighting communism. Mm-hmm. But up until this battle, we had never actually had an American fought battle. Like an official. official right. American battle in Vietnam until landing zone x-ray. So I found... When we were talking about this, in 1963,
0: President John F. Kennedy sent 16,000 military advisors to help the South Vietnamese Army. The current government was overthrown, so there was no strong capitalist government in control
1: of the South at that time. Mm -hmm. So, landings on X-ray is when everything changed in regards to America and the Vietnam War. This would be america's real entrance into the vietnam war now the movie follows the lives of the soldiers leading up to their deployment their arrival in vietnam and the battle that changed the lives of so many the movie also does an incredible job of following the emotions of the wives that were left waiting at home the battle of landing zone x-ray or lz x-ray this was the first time that soldiers were actually trained on helicopters as well. They became the First Air Cavalry and then later First Air Mobile. So wherever they traveled, they went on helicopters. These guys were trained at Fort Benning, Georgia. The boys had to learn how to load and unload, how many men they could carry on a helicopter, etc. Something I never realized until speaking to the veteran that told me this story was that they never wanted a helicopter to actually land more than a second or two and terrain made a difference and weather made a difference in the helicopter's lifting abilities helicopters apparently do not do as well in warm weather oh they actually lift better in cooler weather i did not know that and something also to keep in mind how many people you could load in the morning could change by the afternoon because of the weather. So this was like a completely new concept. It was. So, and so they had to learn all of this
0: in Fort Benning. So just to keep it in perspective, this isn't that long ago. No. You think about having to learn this whole new concept in a short amount of time. I mean, it's not like they had an mm-hmm. endless amount of time to to,
1: to learn all, all
0: of this. It just, I feel like it just puts it in perspective.
1: Like this was a new a new thing, new technology, new... And in the movie, I really like the way that Mel Gibson, who plays Hal Moore, references it. He said, um, we're riding into battle and this is our horse. Right, exactly. <laughs> Talking about the helicopter. Lyndon B. Johnson decided to send the first Air Mobile into Vietnam.
0: So I want to ask you about this. I recall from maybe the movie and the book, wasn't there like a lack of supplies or men or something that happened? Are you going to get into that?
1: I am a little bit. Okay. Um, There's a little bit of a differing opinion. So what we do know and what they do touch on in the movie, and I don't think I've actually gotten into this yet, but the first battalion that was primarily hit in Landings on X-Ray was the First Battalion of the Seventh Cavalry.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, they were a little under strength. In the movie, it happens when they're all dancing, like they're at the dance that's mm-hmm. outside. How mm-hmm. Moore is speaking to one of the higher one commanders or right. whatever, and he's trying to explain like how are we fixing to deploy, mm-hmm. and yet we're under strength, and there's so many of them who are going up for reenlistment. Right. That's, That's what, what it was. was. Yeah. I want to say it was something like a third. Wow. Um, okay. So I've heard two differing accounts. I've heard that they were under strength. I've heard that they only had 600. That I don't think is correct because in the movie they make reference to that. And there's something like three or 400 in the mm-hmm. battalion at the time. But regardless, it is under strength at the time mm-hmm. that it goes in and, and faces this battle. So, something to keep in mind about Vietnam, this was a very different war from wars past. In previous wars, you knew your enemy was in front of you. There was almost like a line. Right, like, yeah, in the trenches. Yeah, so you knew everything behind you was safe. Right. In Vietnam, that was not the case. Your enemy could be anywhere.
0: Definitely different concept. Again, new technology, new ways of transportation all that sort of thing and then also new warfare it was so you're no longer drawing lines and okay here's our battleground and here's where our guys are in these trenches
1: here's where the enemy is in that trench you're just surrounded and you just don't know you don't and something that the veteran that I interviewed mentioned he said you could have someone wave at you during the day and they would be shooting at you at night He said, so you really never knew fully who your enemy was either. Oh, wow. So that was, you know, that's something else to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. So there were landing zones, um, as we've already kind of mentioned, that some of the scouts would go on recon missions to, to kind of see and gather information about what, what the enemy was doing. Keep in mind that at this time, as mentioned before, America was aiding the South Vietnam. They were advising the South Vietnamese, but they were not actively involved in war with, nor- with the North Vietnamese Army. Okay. Intelligence came in that a large group of the North Vietnamese soldiers were forming in the Chu Mountain Range. The 1st Battalion of the 7th Calf went to landing zone x-ray. It was eerily quiet at first. There are three main parts to this battle. There was the creek bed, the ridge, and the landing zone the enemy started attacking them from the mountainous area that they had gathered were they so they were ambushed they were ambushed okay yes i i just rewatched this movie and for some reason i had in my head that as soon as they got off the helicopters they were ambushed that wasn't the case okay um so they got off the helicopters and they were trying to do a perimeter And there were these three areas, three main areas, that they were attacked at. And I want to say, you know, the creek bed and the ridge were extremely hit hard in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. The landing zone really came into play when reinforcements tried coming in. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Because at that point, one of the helicopters is shot down. Mm. And people are ambushed literally as soon as they get off the helicopters.
2: Mm.
1: As mentioned, the battalion was a little under strength. They were attacked for on and off for a couple of days. And attacked is putting it mildly. They were ambushed. They were massacred for several days. The movie puts more of a visual to this than I could ever put into words. At one point, like I mentioned, helicopters touched down with reinforcements. And they are hit hard. Battle strategy makes sense that that would happen. hmm In fact, there is, and I wish I could remember his name, I want to say he was one of the radio men. Metzger? Maybe. I think that's how you say it. Okay. I want to say it, it might be him, but he was trying to get to the helicopter so they could take him to be, because he was wounded. Mm-hmm. And somebody comes by that's worse off than him. And he gives up his seat. And he gives up his seat. And when he steps off the helicopter, he's shot in the chest. And he dies. Yeah. And he falls onto the helicopter and it lifts with him hanging. Oh, man. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. After the ambush at the landing zone itself, they know that they can't send in reinforcements by air. So the 2nd Battalion of the 7th Cav and the 1st Battalion of the 5th Cav Come in over land to reinforce the first battalion. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: When the enemy was no longer attacking and the soldiers realized they had fought them off, they called in a B-52 airstrike. Because landing zone X-ray was at the bottom of the Chupong Mountains, the B-52 airstrikes were going to scatter all over the place. So American soldiers knew that they had to get out. Mm. They went ahead and airlifted the first battalion of the Seventh Cav because they had been there the longest. The 2nd of the 7th and the 1st of the 5th were left there. So they had to leave on foot to get away from the mountain. Now, we talk about the Battle of the Ayodhrang Valley. And we mentioned this in the very beginning. There was LZ X-Ray as well as LZ Albany. Mm -hmm. They don't really go into this in the movie. But when the soldiers leave on foot, the the 1st Battalion of the 5th Cav turn off to go to landings on Columbus. And then the second of the seventh go to landing zone Albany. The veteran that I interviewed was part of the second of the seventh. Okay. So after fighting at landing zone X ray, these men leave and they head to landing zone Albany to be airlifted out. Mm-hmm. So they've been up for days. Mm-hmm. You know, they had to go on foot to help these. Um, the 1st Battalion of the 7th Cav at Landing Zone X-Ray then they have to leave on foot they go towards Landing Zone Albany and the North Vietnamese spring an ambush on them. Oh man. And that killed 151 men and wounded 120 more at Landing Zone Albany. So we've talked
0: about the difference in the numbers of casualties Mm -hmm. and so I think that when I read the the prologue, it talked about 234 Americans who died. And when you mentioned it killed 151 men, wounded 120 more. There's also articles that reported from different sites, I guess. The people who were on LZ X-Ray and the yeah. people who were on LZ Albany. And then the whole Battle of Drang.
1: And I can see where where it would get super confusing, too, because some of these men fought at both. The 2nd and the 7th fought at both. So I can see where it can get confusing, too, in regards to that. Um, But the the Battle of Ayodrang encompasses both of those battles. Mm -hmm. But that's where the numbers get a little bit screwy. Yeah. So according to the History Channel, it
0: says that 834 North Vietnamese soldiers were confirmed killed, and then another 1,000 casualties were assumed. And it gives a number of 150 American soldiers. Only 84 were able to return to immediate duty. This is out of 500 men. So, I mean, we do see different numbers
1: mm-hmm. uh, throughout in different reports. So that kind of shows where we're getting our differing numbers, you guys. Right. So do you want to go into talking about some of the actors that were in this movie? Sure. There are
0: a ton of actors in this movie. I'm not going to be able to get through them all. It takes a huge cast of actors to make an army <laughs> in a movie and so there's there were um, there were some key players. I'm not going to cover all of them. plus I believe you know the film is about telling the true story of the lives of the soldiers. So I feel like we're honoring those people. We're not honoring the actors that yeah. portrayed them. But, I do want to say, from IMDB, it said that many of the wives, the supporting characters, the mm-hmm. ones who didn't really have speaking roles, they were actually military wives.
1: Really? Yes.
0: So, I thought that was very interesting and very, not thoughtful, but...
1: I love that they used them. Yeah. In yep. the film. mm mm-hmm. Yeah. So, the lead role
0: is Mel Gibson. He plays Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore. I don't really think I need to go into depth with Mel. We all pretty much know him. Pre or post Downhill Spiral. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know Mel Gibson. Sam Elliott plays Sergeant
1: Major Basil Plumley, Old Iron Jaw. Listen, okay, so I do have to say this about old Sam Elliott. First of all, I love him. Secondly, he looks so incredibly different in this movie because he doesn't have his mustache. Yes, I I have in my notes, (laughs) you may not recognize him immediately
0: without his mustache in this movie, but you'll know Sam Elliott once you hear him. Yes. And from IMDb, John Hamm said that to his credit, Sam Elliott, at 58 years old, participated in the boot camp training that the entire cast went through with no exemptions. Yes, so I think that's a testament to his portrayal of Old Iron Jaw. Again, if you heard his voice, you know him. You know him. Yeah, he was in Roadhouse, The Big Lebowski. More recently, he was in A Star Is Born and the TV show The Ranch. Another piece of information that I gleaned from IMDb said that Sam Elliott became very close to the real Plumley, and he spent so much time with him and got very close with him uh, when Sergeant Major. Plumley passed away, Sam Elliott sat with his family at his funeral. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. So, again, I think that's a testament to Sam Elliott's character. Madeline Stowe plays Julie Moore. She was in 12 Monkeys. She was in Last of the Mohicans. She was in that Western movie, Bad Girls. You remember that movie? Mm mm. It was like a posse of cowgirls, and they, yeah. So, anyway, I think you'd recognize it if you saw it. More recently, she was on the TV show Revenge. Okay. Yeah. Greg Kinnear plays Major Bruce Snake Campbell. Greg Kinnear, he was in Little Miss Sunshine, As Good As It Gets, Baby Mama. Uh, One of my favorites from a long time ago, Someone Like You with Ashley Judd and Hugh Jackman. Okay. You remember that movie? Mm Mm-hmm. Chris Klein plays Second Lieutenant Jack Geegan. Yes. From American, I mean... Chris Klein, you know him from American Pie. Carrie Russell, she plays his wife. She was in August Rush. She was Felicity. She was in the movie Waitress, which was a really sweet, heartwarming movie. Barry Pepper plays Joe Galloway. Joe Galloway is the reporter that was in the thick of it. And the actor, Barry Pepper, he was in the remake of True Grit. He was in Saving Private Ryan, The Green Mile. You'd recognize him if you saw him. So another piece of information that I came across uh, The actor that portrays Lieutenant Colonel Nguyen An is played by Vietnamese actor Duong Don While researching him I came across this news article that was published in the LA Times I didn't get the actual LA Times article but I did access the information from this site called The Globe and Mail This was published in November of 2002 it said that Duong was labeled as a national traitor by Vietnam's Ministry of Culture and Information and his passport was seized and he was taken like he was put under house arrest after he appeared in two movies one being We Were Soldiers because he portrays this lieutenant colonel, the enemy and the other movie called Green Dragon this starred Patrick Swayze and Forrest Whitaker I haven't seen this movie, I'd like to watch it now But it was about Vietnamese refugees. Wow. So he wrote this letter to his sons to affirm the truth that he was not a traitor. He never would be a traitor. And that the Vietnamese officials had mistaken movies for reality. His relatives sent the letter to the LA Times and they published it. So it looks like he was... Eventually able to leave Vietnam, he died in California at the age of 54 in 2011 from a brain hemorrhage. Really? Yeah. That is heartbreaking? Yeah. And... I had no idea. Me so either. I want to re-watch the movie because I want to see his portrayal of this lieutenant colonel. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, yeah, it was, it was an interesting story and I had no... No idea. Moving on, there there are so many more actors to talk about, but I'll just go through them very quickly. John Hamm, we know him from Mad Men. We've talked about him before. Mark Blucas is in this film.
1: <laughs> just <laughs> talked about him in Sleeping with Other People. And you know, when I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, I just saw you. Like, yeah, exactly. I just sweet. saw you. Clark Gregg, he was
0: Colson in the Avengers movies. He's married to Jennifer Gray from oh, okay. Dirty Dancing. Yep. Yeah. Dylan Walsh, Bellamy Young. Bellamy Young, she is actually the mom in the show that we watch called Prodigal Son. Okay. And I just thought that was interesting. Like, oh, she's in that movie. So some more information that I gleaned from IMDb regarding the movie itself. It was reported that the real Joe Galloway had a very emotional reaction to watching the movie in the theater, and he had to step out because he said he lived it before.
1: I can and, believe it.
0: Yeah. It was also said that he could not bring himself to shake the hand of the actor who played Jimmy Nakayama. The actor is Brian T. He plays Ethan Choi on Chicago Med. And I also gleaned that the film was shot chronologically, so... The sequence in the movie is the sequence in which they shot. So yeah. they go through the boot camp, they go through that training, and then the battle scenes were shot
1: last. Um, something I do want to mention in regards to the Joe Galloway issue with... Please help me with the name. Jimmy Nakayama? Yes. Mm-hmm. In the movie, there's a extremely hard scene where Joe Galloway is speaking with a man and he says that he has a new baby that day. Mm. And that same day in the battle, he gets burned severely bad. Yes, And Joe Galloway tries to help him and he actually has to carry him to the helicopter. And when they get to the helicopter, Jimmy says, tell my wife and my baby I love them because he he knows most he's he's not not going to make make it. it. So I can see where that would be extremely hard for Joe Galloway in real life. Right. Yeah.
0: I also read that Moore and Galloway went back to Vietnam after the war, and they did meet with Anne so they could research their book and have a clearer perspective on the battle strategy of the North Vietnamese Army. And Moore did explain, he said, that there was no bitterness between them, that they had a mutual respect as soldiers. I, I love that. Yeah. Actually. And I just, we'll talk about this later. A bit later on, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about what I'm feeling right now. <laughs> so.
1: So I want to talk about some of the notable scenes or some of the scenes, I guess, that really struck me. I love that they show the intellect of how more. You really see this when he is, it's prior to them deploying, mm-hmm. but he's researching and reading up on Den Ban Phu, which I probably butchered that, you guys. I'm Southern. I don't speak Vietnamese. But that hey, was, but I've said, don't make fun of people who mispronounce things because that means they read them
0: <laughs> first, okay? So, Very true. You were I love reading that. it and you were researching it, so.
1: I love that. Yeah, don't make fun of people who mispronounce things because that means they read them, they didn't hear them. <laughs> So, if you've never heard of this battle, it actually is portrayed in the very beginning of the movie. Basically, French soldiers are ambushed by the Vietnamese. And, I mean, it's an extremely gory scene. Mm -hmm. So, Hal Moore is reading up on this battle and he finds out that his battalion is going to be 1st Battalion of the 7th Cav. Which was Custer's. Custer's Battalion. Yes okay. And so you kind of see him pause when he hears this mm-hmm. because there's almost like, oh, this is a little bit cursed. Right. So you see him reading up on Din Ben Phu as well as Custer's Last Stand. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to prepare himself for the mentality of the warfare mm-hmm. of the North Vietnamese army. And I love that they that they show that because I think How Moore is an extremely intelligent man, mm-hmm. and I I just love that it was portrayed in the movie. Definitely. Now there were several sections that I loved in this movie, and I don't want to give everything away, but I loved the character Snake Shit, and one of the best camera slash special effects that I saw in this movie was when. He returns to the base camp after a long day of flying into landing zone x-ray. Um, you know, first bringing in reinforcements. He actually sees one of his other pilots get shot down. Mm. You know, he sees men killed. He's, he sees all the wounded. He's having to, to lift all the wounded out. But the camera catches his face in a red light. You can see he's just in agony. He's heartbroken. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know the words to say. And they are also like in the same shot. They're showing his face in a red light, and he has soldiers come up and they wash the back of his helicopter out, mm-hmm. and it washes out and it's blood. Mm. Like it just, it just really shows you all the horror, the he's reality seen. of war. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is. You know,
0: there's something to be said about violence in Hollywood and, and violent portrayals in movies and that sort of thing. But, I mean, to show you that this is the reality, yeah. this, is, this is the violence that occurs, mm-hmm. and this is the gore that happens. And it's a very real thing.
1: And right after that, he gets out of the helicopter, and he falls to the ground, and he's throwing up. Mm-hmm. And some guy comes up and starts yelling at him. I can't remember how he words it, but he, he basically says, like, why did you fly in? Like it was it wasn't safe. Like, why oh. did you fly in? And Snake Shit pulls a gun on him and mm. he says, I will kill you. Yeah. Like don't come around me again. He he basically calls the other man a coward and mm-hmm. says, You didn't have enough courage to go into that, so don't come at me like that. Right. Oh my gosh. I, I loved Snake Shit's character and he had so much courage, I cannot even imagine. I also loved when the battle was over and the reporters rushed Joe Galloway. So the reporters rushed him. They rushed to him interview him. To interview him mm-hmm. of all he had seen. Because mm-hmm. he had okay, so Joe Galloway, to kind of explain, he actually catches a flight with Snake Shed
2: mm-hmm. and
1: they fly in. Mm-hmm. And there's this moment where Joe Galloway asks. Snake shit, like what are the lights? He sees the lights in the mountains, mm-hmm. and Snake shit says that's the enemy, and mm-hmm. there is a whole line through the mountains, mm-hmm. and so Joe kind of foresees what's coming, right? And he he still gets off of the helicopter, and he's taking pictures, and I'll get into one of my favorite quotes in this whole movie in a minute because I love Joe Galloway as well in this at the end of the battle the reporters fly in and they rush joe mm-hmm. and joe just he it's like he's struck and he turns and walks away it just showed that he no longer was the same as them he had seen too many things over the past few days and he would never be that kind of reporter again he's not going to be the same person again right he's forever changed yeah do you want to take a break yeah let's take a break because okay. this is going to be a longer episode, you guys. Yep. guys. So some of our favorite quotes in we were soldiers. So Jack Gee again mm-hmm. says, I know God has a plan for me. I just hope it is to help orphans, not make any. Mm. He had talked about in his conversation with how more in the chapel, I don't know that it says that he is like a missionary, but he had been in a foreign country and helped orphans. I seem to recall something like that. Yeah, and so that's where this quote was derived.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In that same scene, Hal Moore is praying with Jack, and he, in the prayer he says, "Ignore their heathen prayers and help us to blow those little bastards straight to hell." <laughs> I just, <laughs> yeah, I understand. Like, yes, you, it just—it was—it was comical, in right? The, in the face of just a touch that. of of
0: comedy in, yeah. in such serious material Matters. comical but then it's also like you know the other side is
1: it's is thinking the same, the same
0: thing, thing. Yeah. exactly this
1: was a little bit of comedy though because jack had just had a, a baby girl right boy, he was so in a Hal, very serious yeah how was trying to lighten the situation lighten the situation yeah. in the chapel but i just thought that was that was cute yeah i loved 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 how more speech before the battalion left for vietnam He says, I can't promise you that I'll bring you all home alive, but I can promise that when we go into battle, I'll be the first to set foot on the field, and I'll be the last to step off, and I'll leave no one behind. We will all come home together, so help me God. Mm. It just, again, shows what a powerful leader Right, I was going to say,
0: it's a testament to his leadership. Yeah. Joe
1: Galloway says, when it came to this war, I didn't think I could stop the war, but I thought that maybe I could understand it and maybe help the people back at home understand it. I thought I could do that better with a camera than with a gun. Hmm. Because Joe Galloway, again, I don't know if he was necessarily a reporter or if he was a... A, a photographer? Yeah, a war photographer. I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. But he was a non-combatant. Mm-hmm. Regardless. Mm-hmm. And so I just loved that, and I think there was so much misunderstanding with the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. You know, there was there was just so much misunderstanding. I think that that spoke some truth into it. You know, mm-hmm. he didn't necessarily understand it. He didn't think that he could stop, really it. take part in right. it or stop it. But he wanted to give a visual aid to Americans so that maybe they could better understand it. Mm-hmm. So one of the more heart-wrenching quotes is when Hal Moore says at the end of the battle, I'll never forgive myself. And Joe asks him why. And he says that my men died and I didn't. And I think
0: that touches upon, first of all, in the moment that he's he's saying that, but also... I think that can apply to many to many servicemen who probably feel some amount of survivor's guilt, some mm-hmm. remorse.
1: I think that it is something that a lot of servicemen deal with. Mm-hmm. I've heard from a soldier once. He actually listed the names and dates of 17 men under his command that he had lost. Mm. So I think that no matter what your role or what your command loss of life is never easy. And I think that that's something that plays in their minds. Like what could I have done differently to save that person? Or right. You Mm -hmm. know, I think that that is something that's really relevant for any battle, any service member. Right. Exactly. An interaction between Joe Galloway and how Moore. Joe says, sir, I don't know how to tell this story. And how says you tell them what happened here. You tell them how my men died. I don't know if that interaction really happened in real life, right? But I think that that kind of leads up to how the book was created by both of them, right? That was that was a connection there, and that, that kind made, of that made room for joint effort to to share this story, right? To make people aware of what mm-hmm. happened, and I know that you're gonna have some comments here. Okay, I'm probably gonna get emotional with this too. So, Joe Galloway says at the very end, we who have seen war never stop seeing it. And this quote really hit me hard. And it made me think really hard about the soldiers that I have in my life. And we've had friends who have been to war. And we've had friends who have never really recovered from it. Mm -hmm. It still plagues them daily. Mm -hmm. Just in in that statement, it makes you really see their viewpoint
0: right it's what they're living with every day yeah and you just get a a very minuscule glimpse of what they've been through and that by no means says you understand what they've been no but you get a small glimpse into the reality that they live every day yeah
1: exactly
0: so yes you mentioned that I have some comments (laughs) (laughs) so I think this is a reason why so many people need to understand how you can be supportive of the military, but you do not necessarily agree with how the government uses our forces. And sometimes I get the, the feeling that if people witness you disagreeing with what our armed forces are doing, that you disrespect them. And I think that's a that's not nearly the case. It's, it's the fear that Young people are being put in situations that will have serious repercussions that will leave them with everlasting trauma. And not to mention, of course, you're putting their lives in danger. These are people we care about. So, again, the movie drives it home to me. But you also mentioned people in the military today while... I feel like they get the utmost respect. I don't feel like they're necessarily taken care of in different aspects of their service. Mm -hmm. Back in the 60s, there was a
1: much different feeling. Okay, so I have several thoughts on this as well. With Vietnam, it was such a controversial war. These soldiers came home and the America that saw them off did not welcome them back. Right. And, you know, some of them were greeted at airports with horrific things yelled at them. Mm-hmm. And, again, we need to keep in mind that while you disagree with a with a war or whatever, it, <laughs> that person may have had no, right. like, you, we like dis- you were saying. Right. We discussed that before, that some of these,
0: Or probably most of the young men who either enlisted or later on, you know, some were drafted. Exactly. And they had no choice. Or or they had choices, but they either could run to Canada or they faced jail time or whatever. So, I mean, I think many of the young men who went off to war didn't really understand what it possibly was about or, you know, you're thinking you're going to stop the spread of communism but then when you get over there, you don't even really have a face to put with your enemy and then your friends could be your enemy and you just don't know where to yeah. go, who to trust. So I think these men going over there under the impression that they're just serving their country, they're just doing their duty yeah, and then they come back and they're greeted with opposition and people spitting disgust, on them people and, spitting on them. Yeah. and And I don't think... Some veterans of that particular war, I think they had different experiences. I don't think it was, and, you know, feel free to disagree with me, but I don't think all of the homecomings were bad or difficult. difficult. I think some, you know, it depended on where you were, where you lived. So, yeah, I mean, at that time period, I feel like people were becoming so immersed in the news and it was a new thing. I mean, they were seeing coverage of the war and they were seeing the gore and the the desolation and that sort of thing. So they had this really harsh opinion of the soldiers coming back. And again, that and I, wasn't right. No. They shouldn't have treated them that way.
1: And I think, too, it was hard, especially with the more modern coverage of mm-hmm. everything, I think it was hard for some people to separate politics from the men or that fighting right or that these men were put in a
0: situation which they I mean it was either fight or die I mean no. you really weren't going to be able to just run away from the situation so I mean if they're seeing this coverage where the soldiers are being portrayed in this light well yeah they were fighting for their lives and of course they're going to protect themselves of Absolutely. course they're going to do things and we're not history buffs we're not Mm-mm necessarily like scholars of this war or anything. No,
1: absolutely not.
0: Uh, So we're going off of our knowledge that we have.
1: Very true. And something I do want to mention, because it has come up in conversations with both of the veterans that I interviewed that were um, Vietnam vets, they both said they had such a heart for the South Vietnamese people. Mm -hmm. They said, you know, these were good people. Right. And they... Both of them talked about the poverty and how mm. they they had no idea what to do either because they had people coming into their villages saying, basically, align with us or we're going to kill your family. Exactly. And then the next day, another group might come in, you know. Right. So, these people were very torn and both veterans said, you know, they just wanted to raise their families. Right. And it just was heartbreaking, but also... Something I do want to mention in reference to something that you had said was both these veterans made comments that they fought in the war, but later on it was like, and they were glad for their service to our country, but they also said, you know, is it something they really understood? No. Right. And that's something that I think is really important because, not the veteran that I spoke to about the Iodring Valley, but the other one, he had been part of a base camp in Vietnam that had been under siege, mm-hmm. and they were under heavy siege for three months, mm-hmm. and they had been told by the U.S. government, hold your position, hold this base at all costs, and then three months later, they were told you can abandon it. Leave it. So and what was think, the point? Right. And what was the point of the loss of all of those men? Right. So I think even Vietnam veterans who fought in battles still kind of wonder like, what was what, it all for? What was it for? Exactly. Yeah. So I think I think that that's something really important to state in this in this podcast.
0: Yes. Something we were discussing earlier. There was a scene in the movie 1917 which just came out Uh, very recently and it's mentioned you know oh you saved you saved a unit today but they may be sent off tomorrow Mm -hmm. to to a battle or you know whatever the higher-ups decide and it just really hit you this this person went through all of this to just be told that and i think learning about these things give you a better perspective and understanding of how muddy the water is and how you can serve your country. You can protect freedom and do what you think is right, but it gets into a gray area where you have conflicting issues, I guess. I yeah. don't know. Yeah.
1: And especially, like, I, I really feel like sometimes hindsight... Right. Is when it really hits home. So, something super important that I want to tell you guys about this movie. I would have missed it. You can appreciate the moment in this movie, I think. But to actually understand what is really happening, I will almost cry every time I see this scene. Mm -hmm. It just breaks my heart. So, there's... A very special part in this movie where Julie Moore sees a taxi cab come to her neighbor. She goes over after the taxi cab leaves and she finds that the taxi driver had actually taken a Western Union telegram and delivered it to the wife of a soldier notifying her of his death. A telegram from a taxi driver. Later, the taxi driver pulls up into Julie's house she literally falls down in horror thinking the worst thinking her husband has died mm. and when she finally makes her way to the door the taxi driver asks her to help him with finding an address to deliver to, to deliver, deliver another, another telegram notice. yeah and she understandably screams at him and he quietly says i don't like this job ma'am i'm just trying to do it and she takes the notice from him And says that she'll deliver it. And she asks him that any more death notices be delivered to her so that she can hand them out. Mm -hmm. So as she's walking to deliver the telegram, her friend, which is played by Carrie Russell, Mm -hmm. joins her along the way. And they deliver the telegram to a newly widowed military spouse. And later they walk back to Julie's house and Carrie Russell says to her... You know, if there's more tomorrow, let me know and I'll go with you. Mm -hmm. And they walk up and on the steps is a whole stack. Mm. So during this scene, Julie Moore says the army wasn't ready. And they weren't, you guys. Again, they had not been prepared for the sheer number of casualties that would take place at this battle. So to note, this was actually how it was done. Yes. Julie Moore is hugely important. She grieved with the widows who lost their husbands and the children who had lost their fathers. She attended the funerals of the men who were killed under her husband's command. I cannot imagine having to deal with that. But she took that role on. Oh, yeah. Because she did not want just a taxi cab service to deliver these death notices. Right. In real life, due to her persistence and the shining example that she set and her complaints to the Pentagon, within weeks, the Army had a new process for casualty notification. There would be one uniformed officer accompanied by a chaplain to go and notify the families. She was instrumental in getting more attention focused on the Army family. Miss Moore's legacy still lives on and there is now an award in her honor. The Julia Compton Moore Award recognizes the civilian spouses of soldiers for their extraordinary contributions to the United States Army. So, I think in watching the movie, that scene will hit home a lot harder now. hmm Because I cannot imagine my husband going off to war and the military notifying me of his death by sending a cab driver. Right with a notice
0: I think what we were used to just in modern media I mean I didn't know about that until watching the movie reading you know reading about the research about Julie Moore Mm -hmm. and so I think that that award is so fitting because she was she was serving her country she was she was getting things done that needed to be done
1: yeah yeah And I think that's so relevant to military spouses. They just they kind of take things on and they've got to get things done. Right. But this is an example of how one person can make a huge difference. Definitely. So I love that. Friend, do you want to take another break? Let's take a break. We are back okay so someone who is not captured in the movie but that played a huge role in real life is rick rascorla and he's actually on the cover of we were soldiers once and young that is mm-hmm. the book so i feel like i would be remiss if i didn't mention his story he was not actually an american native he was born in wales And I won't go into a whole lot of the history, but he was a soldier before he came to the United States. So, he came to the U.S. in 1963 and enlisted in the United States Army. He later took officer training in Fort Benning, Georgia, and was commissioned as a U.S. officer of infantry in 1965. Five short months later, he was leading a platoon of 44 men in Vietnam with the 2nd Battalion of the 7th Cavalry. Of the 1st Air Cavalry Division. That's a mouthful, you guys. Mm-hmm. So, Howmore once said, Raskorla was the best platoon leader I ever saw. And I think that speaks so highly of him, mm-hmm. considering it's Howmore. Right. The first night of the Battle of the Ayodrang Valley, one company had been nearly wiped out due to onslaught of firefight. The next day, the company that Roscorla was in was ordered to replace Howmore's. Okay. The tales of Riscorla's bravery were pretty renowned. That second night, after studying the terrain from the enemy's viewpoint, he commanded his men to dig foxholes 50 yards back, lay traps, and reposition their guns and artillery. As always, to calm his men for what was to come, Rick Riscorla sang, and he joked. Bill Lund, who served with him in that battle, stated, What a command presence. We all thought we were going to die that night, and Raskorla gave us our courage back. He also saved several of his men by throwing a grenade on an enemy machine gun nest. Mm. So, after the Battle of Ayodring, Raskorla and the Bravo Company were evacuated by helicopter. The rest of the battalion marched to another nearby landing zone, Landing Zone Albany. The battalion on foot was ambushed. As Which we mentioned about. before, again, Rascorla's company was called in to assist. Only two helicopters made it through enemy fire as they were trying to land, and Rascorla's pilot was wounded as they were descending, and Rescorla and his men had to jump the remaining 10 feet mm. while the enemy was shooting at them. Oh, wow. So, Lieutenant Larry Gwynn said, I saw Rick Rascorla come swaggering into our lines with a smile on his face. An M-79 on his shoulder, his M-16 in one hand, saying, Good, good, good. I hope they hit us with everything they've got tonight. We'll wipe them up. His spirit was catching. The enemy must have thought an entire battalion was coming to help us because of all of our screaming and yelling. So he really empowered the men that yeah. he served with.
0: It sounds like he never
1: let on that he was scared or worried. mm mm yeah. So I was particularly moved while researching um, Rick Roscorla that he was extremely calm in the midst of battle. He was already well-versed in combat. As I mentioned, he was also a soldier prior to moving to the U.S. And like I said, he sang to his men to help calm them. So an article that I read on Rick Roscorla The author says, When I started interviewing these veterans of my regiment decades later, I was struck by the emotions Riscorla's men still felt for him. Something that I want to note with Rick Riscorla, and this really goes into play with what we said earlier about men in command or service members who lose people underneath them. Mm -hmm. So an article states, Rick died a little bit with every guy who died under his command. After Vietnam, Rick Rescorla left the Army Service and joined the National Guard. He retired as a colonel. Mm-hmm. He, he actually lived quite an interesting life. After the war, he used his military benefits to study creative writing and received his bachelor's degree. He earned a master's degree in literature and went on to obtain a law degree. Oh, wow. He even taught criminal justice at the University of South Carolina. He left to seek a higher paying position in corporate security. So something I want to mention in researching Rick Skorla, throughout his life, something that was almost ingrained in him because of military service was to seek out weak points. Mm-hmm. And this has really kind of come into play. And you might be asking yourself right now why I'm talking about this man, but you'll understand in a second. Mm-hmm. In regards to the corporate security He took a position at the Dean Witter Corporation in 1985. In 1991, Rick Rescorla saw a weakness in regards to the World Trade Center. He knew the importance of the World Trade Center and he knew it had become an icon of power in the American economy. He surveyed the building and found that the basement near a support column would weaken the building. If a truck bomb were to go off, it could bring the whole complex down. Okay, give me just
0: one... Okay, hold on a second. Let me... Can we we back up? Yes. Okay, so this is in 1991. Yes. He's working at the World Trade Center... With the Dean Witter Corporation. Corporation, Corporation, which is security. Yes. And, like you said, it's ingrained in him to find weak spots. So, he found, in the basement, a weak spot with the near a
1: support column that near would actually bring the complex down if a truck bomb were to go off yes okay so he warned the port authority now I don't I don't remember this because I would have been young mm-hmm. but when he gave the port Authority that warning in 1991 he was they basically told him to go back and do his job and be concerned with the floors that the Dean Witter, corporation at least in the World Trade Center just worry about those just worry about those wars. stick to your own stuff yep. like we've got this okay so on February 26 1993 again I would have been we were young yeah we were young yeah we were
0: I, I honestly I had no idea and that's terrible like I'm sure at that time probably saw something in the news we
1: were kids little. It would have went over our heads. Went over our heads. Um, so, on February 26, 1993, Islamic terrorists parked a rental truck in the basement that had a homemade chemical bomb inside. Later, the company he worked for received a quarter of a billion dollars because he had warned the port authority and they had failed to take the warning seriously. So, what was that? Do you know? Why? Because, I mean, like, he had gone to them with a serious security
0: and they And they disregarded him.
1: it. So they awarded... The port authority that he had given the warning to that had disregarded it awarded the quarter of a billion dollars to, to the... the Dean Witter Corporation. Oh, okay. Because he had been a part of the Dean Witter right. Corporation. Mm-hmm. He had went to them with a valid concern. They mm-hmm. hadn't looked into it. They had disregarded it, and then that's what happened. That was strange.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but again, he had... An eye for this, you got to think he had taken part in seeing the worst warfare, mm-hmm. so he he really had an eye for spotting weak points, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, in 1995, 1996, he warned the port authority again that the next attack would probably be coming by air. He knew that terrorists who had had their plans foiled in 1993. Wouldn't give up. They would try again. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And Rick Roscorla, as I said, was not psychic. He just had a mind for finding these things. And... He had a mind for guerrilla warfare. Right. Guerrilla warfare, where the enemy would strike, what the best
0: tactics
1: would be if they wanted to really hurt America. Yes. Yeah. As you know, the Port Authority, again, did not heed his advice. I
0: cannot... Okay, so I just... How could they not listen to him... When he was already, sadly, tragically, proven right once already. It just blows my mind.
1: Girl, I do not know. Mm -hmm. They didn't heed his advice Mm -hmm. again. Idiots. So, after he was turned away again by the Port Authority... He went to his company and asked them to move to a low-rise building.
0: So, was this low-rise, like, did he mean outside,
1: he wanted to get out of the World Trade Center? He wanted to get out of the World Trade Center Mm -hmm. because he foresaw something coming. Right. There was nothing that they could be done. They had a lease that was in effect until 2005. Hmm. So, after being told this, he decided it was in his hands to get his people prepared in case of an attack. He made them drill and practice safe evacuations frequently. He prepared for power outage by having stair lighting and generators installed. He assigned people to oversee office and floor evacuations. He made the workers participate in the buddy system. Now, in an article that I read, you know, he was, as we do, mm-hmm. you know, with all like drills, right? Whether it be in school, when we were in high school or whatever, mm-hmm. we take them as, with a grain of salt. So I'm sure he took some flack for doing this. Oh, yeah. I'm sure, you know, people
0: half heartedly paid or, attention, participated. Okay, I'll do this, but mm-hmm. when are
1: we ever really going to need this? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And while I'm sure it became a nuisance at times, the people became accustomed to these drills, and it became ingrained in them. Mm-hmm. When the North Tower was hit at eight forty-five a.m. on September eleventh, two thousand and one, the Port Authority instructed everyone in the South Tower to stay put, and this infuriates me. <laughs> yes. They told them there was no danger. Mm. squirrel retorted with, "Piss off, you son of a bitch." Mm, yeah. Everything above where that plane hit is going to collapse, and it's going to take the whole building with it. I'm getting my people the f*** out of here. That's what he said. That's what he said. The workers were ready. Rick Rescorla implemented his evacuation plan, as he had done in Vietnam. He sang songs to keep the people calm in crisis. 2,700 people followed his commands that day. 2,700 people are still alive today because of Rick Rescorla. I'm getting a little choked up. Yeah. Only six people in the Dean Witter Morgan Stanley Corporation lost their lives that day. Rick Rescorla was one of them. As a trained soldier and a trained leader, he could not leave one of one of his men behind. Three were missing, and he and two assistants went back in to look for them. Unfortunately, the building collapsed before they were able to get out. Whew. We told you guys it was going to get emotional. <laughs> Okay, so, even though he was British by birth, Rick Rescorla is a true American hero. And so,
0: I wanted to mention, we we took a trip to New York City this past year, and there was a section where it talked, it it went through everything about Rick Rescorla. Yeah. And being there, there are no words. Mm-mm. I mean... Personally, friend, you know, had you not went through the interviewing process and, and talked to the people that you did, I would have never known about this man who saved all of these people. Now I'm getting choked up. <laughs> but, um, I mean, what a he truly was a hero. I feel like people throw that word
1: around so much, but he truly was. He went back in to get the people that... I know, it was like he was a hero in Vietnam. You know, not only did he fight and have soldiers under him in landing zone X-ray to try to provide relief for Hal Moore's battalion. Right. But he also ended up having to go in and assist after fighting for a couple of days at landing zone X-ray. He had to go in and assist in landing zone Albany, too. So he was a hero not only in Vietnam, but you see that throughout his lifetime. Right. And in... He died in, saving people. Yeah. Literally, nothing. that was what happened. Oh. So, there are two things that I thought about that I was like, oh, I should have mentioned in regards to the movie. So, I'm going to have to get off of Rick or Squirla, go back to the movie for a second. Another scene that I want to mention in the movie was... They call... I can't remember if it was at the Ridge or the Creek Bed, but they were at one of the two... And they call in for an airstrike, mm-hmm. like or for missiles to be launched or whatever. And so they give the coordinates, and it's dropped just at that time, and it lights up the sky mm-hmm. for just a second, and you see the enemy right there. Oh! And it will like literally make your stomach drop.
0: Right. And throughout throughout this recording of this episode, I've get I've gotten chills. I don't know how many times. Yeah, that is a that is stomach drop
1: scene. Absolutely, like you just think, oh shit. Yeah, because they yeah. were that close. Yeah. Um, something else that I want to mention was that how Moore did not go home. His men did not go home right after that battle. Right. It wasn't like okay, we've just went through this harrowing experience.
0: Yeah. And let's oh, go home. Let's all go home. No, it, that's not yeah. how it happened.
1: He continued to leave those men for 235 more days before he went home. Chills again. I just, just, I cannot imagine. I could not fathom
0: that. No. (sighs) No. So, we hope our listeners have learned something. We hope that, honestly, I hope I didn't offend anybody because that would not be my intention, but... Again, we wanted to do this in reflection of Memorial Day. It's a special day. It's a day of remembrance. And we wanted to share with you guys our rudimentary knowledge. I mean, like I said, we are in no way experts on the subject. But we We wanted wanted to share.
1: We especially want to honor our service members. Exactly. And this was our way of doing it. And I I hope that y'all have learned something. So thank a service member. Remember those those people in your life Mm
0: -hmm. and Mm -hmm. if you want to help or think about ways that you can be a part of the process there are so many different resources out there you can always email us message us if you have any questions on you know oh i'd like to help i'd like to donate money or i'd like to do something
1: there are so many different options out there organizations that assist veterans yes thanks for listening guys